Hey guys, welcome to a new episode of A Day With. Today I'm enjoying an amazing Argentinian barbecue with our great guest, James Chen, the owner of Argentinian Barbecue Gourmet. I'm from Colombia, so this actually does make me feel like home, <laughs> this type of food in general. You know, I discovered your catering restaurant and services last year when I was doing a Thanksgiving dinner. And I love the empanadas and the meat, chicken and all of this. This, you know, really took me back to my South American roots. So, James, thank you so much for um, coming and sitting with me today. How are you? I'm very well. And thank you so much <laughs> for having me on board. Very happy to have the opportunity. It's my first time doing a podcast so yeah i'm a little excited cool well look at where we are this is such a cool place so explain to us a little bit about our so how do we pronounce argentinian barbecue or rrg uh, so argbbq A-R- is the handle that we use because we realized that it was a bit of a mouthful uh, <laughs> for our customers uh, as well so uh, we kind of downsized that but uh, we are called argentinian barbecue gourmet and we specialize in Argentinian food. We previously first started off as an event caterer. Uh, so we were doing uh, events for private parties and home catering, but uh, you know, COVID hit and that had to make us rethink how we did everything. So we initially moved into the delivery model, you know, that when restaurants reopened again, it wasn't enough to sustain the business. So that's uh, why we started uh, with a stall where we are right now. And this is called restaurant or what is the name? So the name of the place uh, is called Cult Yard. Yeah. So we've, tie- we've tied up with the kind guys at Cult Yard. Uh, they do drinks and we do the food. So just to give uh, you a better context of this area, it's this building itself used to be an old colonial police barracks. Oh, cool. Yes. And the space that we are in itself uh, is the courtyard, uh, which hence Cult Yard <laughs> as cool. well. So we started working out of this place about two months, two months ago. So we're still relatively new, but the operation of Cult Yard has been around for a year. Got it. So this place looks amazing. I've never been to a restaurant like this, you know, the vibe with the graffitis. And I hope everyone listening could go to our Instagram and see some of the pictures we're going to put there because it's just really cool. Now, tell us about yourself. What's your background? How did you get into this uh, industry, the F&B industry? There's a lot to unpack here, (laughs) uh, I feel. But uh, I'm 35 this year. I was born in the UK, but I moved back to Singapore when I was roughly around five. Uh, Did most of my primary school education here. Then I went to live in Australia, Sydney. Uh, Did most of my high school uh, over there. Are are your parents Singaporean? So, yes, both my parents are Singaporean, but uh, they moved away. My dad's side of the family uh, moved away from Singapore before I was born. So, hence, I was... uh, my dad was uh, located in the UK, but yeah, my parents my parents separated, so hence I came back to Singapore. I went to Australia to study because uh, it was with my dad's side of the family, so that's where I did most of my formative education. But being Singaporean, still I had to come back for national service. Oh yes. Yes, and uh, served two years here. Didn't know what I wanted to do after, so I went to sign up in culinary school. It's called Shatek. Didn't do culinary. Ended up going to tourism because uh, I was told. There'll be more girls there. That's <laughs> what a what a twenty year old would the think about. The mindset of a twenty year old. Yeah, okay. <laughs> back then. But you know, uh, no idea what I really wanted to mm-hmm. do. But it kind of led me down that path. Uh, after I graduated, uh, I went to work for private uh, event caterer. So that's what led me into this private dining route. Did the first few there years there. Started off doing as a sales intern. 
but also I worked a bit in between kitchens, bars, uh, on the floor as well. You know, but when that company closed down, uh, and this was like, I'd probably say 15, 16 years ago now, a lot of their clients still got in touch with me. And so that's where I started to arrange like private dinners and I did it on the side. Uh, was it Argentinian barbecue back so then? So at or? that point of time, no, it was uh, the place that I worked for specialized a lot in European cuisine. So that's a lot of uh, where my knowledge comes from as well. After which, uh, I, I did a couple of other things. I left the industry for a while. I went, uh, you know, I mean, when you're in your early 20s, you want to make bank, right? I mean, with little expectations, you know, or rather misaligned expectations. So I, I went to start an event agency thinking I would like it. Yeah, you know, uh, I think I paired up with the wrong partners, lack of experience. Uh, it didn't go well. So I went to work in... Events industry is yes. so hard. I mean, I, I've been working in events my whole life doing uh, weddings and then in the financial services industry like people don't realize how much there is behind yes. and also the turnaround there's so many companies uh, in events that start and you know can't make it it's not that easy it's tough uh, on many different levels i feel like uh, there are lots of stakeholders uh, there's a lot of demands you know uh, most people i feel see the end product you know the event itself or like if you are saying coming back to kitchen like what I do right now we see the end product like all oh, the food but uh, no one sees the empanadas yeah <laughs> no one sees what really goes on behind and I mean I suppose that's why we're here today yeah exactly <laughs> so is this it started as a passion do you think and then turned into your work or, or did you start it as a business 100% so uh, it kind of found me accidentally and I would say it's, it's something that's quite fortunate I'm very very grateful for as you can tell I am clearly not Argentinian. Uh, <laughs> so as I was doing these private dinners over the years on the side, on a freelance basis, yeah. uh, I met uh, I met a lady who started the business, Argentinian Barbecue Gourmet. She was an Argentinian lady. At that point of time, uh, we ran an event together. I was running the bars and she was doing food and we realized that, hey, we really hit it off. You know, we started to work quite closely after that. And she had to leave the country uh, with her partner because her partner had to be relocated. Uh, and she asked me, hey, you know, you look like you understand the business well. Would you be keen mm -hmm. to, to take it on? You know, okay. uh, at that point of time, I was, I think I was going through a bit in my personal life. And, you know, I, I didn't want at first because uh, I was a bit comfortable. So and it was my uh, then girlfriend, now wife, uh, <laughs> who kind of encouraged me to do it. Yeah, I took over the business and uh, haven't looked back since. Uh, it's been five years now. If you ask me, yes, it was very frightening at the start because I knew close to nothing for Argentinian food. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you ever been to Argentina at this point? You know, I feel a bit embarrassed to say uh, that Shall no, <laughs> I, I, no, 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 I, I think it's, it's fair that, I mean, I say it as it is. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been to Argentina, you know, and it's, it's something that made me research a lot on the topic, right? You know, and the food as well and speaking to people. Like, I think I'm very grateful that the community here is so, so supportive. So, uh, like, I've had the opportunity to cook for the Argentinian ambassador to Singapore as mm -hmm. well. And his team are so supportive. Uh, like, they would tell me like, hey, James, I think you can do this better. You know, this is what it tastes like. You know, and a lot of our customers as well would share with us uh, how we can uh, improve or have something a bit more authentic yes. to that point. And so, yeah, if you ask me from five years ago to now, uh, yeah, it's a lot of evolution and thank God for YouTube, <laughs> YouTube University right here. Yeah, I've learned a lot from there. That's just so great to hear, you know, about the Argentinians trying to help you out yeah. you know, because there's a lot in the culture too. Most of these recipes we learn are from like, you know, our grandparents and things yes. like that. So that's great. So how is a day with you? Um, because 
I learned just very recently that you almost are doing everything, you know, running around and it's not only like financial and admin part of it, but you know, you're owning the business. So for anyone out there that might be thinking either putting a, a restaurant together or, you know, catering, catering business, tell us how a normal day looks for you and how it is actually to, to run one of those businesses. So um, it's not like, I mean, as a person myself, I'm not like the type that really plans seven steps ahead. You know, I, I, I'm very feeling as a person, you know, I do things a bit emotively. Of course, there's been a lot of trial and error. And if you ask me, I'm still learning a lot. A rough day for me, I go through yeah, what I need to correspond with, look at my orders, uh, after which uh, we will prepare. I'll, I'll talk to the team, oh, uh, how many empanadas we need for the day, uh, what we need to prep. And after that, uh, the restaurant itself only starts at night, so preparation takes place usually around the day. So anything, uh, the daytime could be anything from meeting people, ordering with suppliers, Usually by afternoon, probably 3-4 p.m., uh, we'll probably be ready. Uh, I'll come into the shop. Yeah, uh, We open for operations at 5 o'clock. Uh, then 5 o'clock itself all the way to 10 is the actual uh, operation. Uh, You're full-on mode. Yeah, where we are serving out the food to the guest. And yeah, by roughly by, I would say, 10, 10.30, maybe 11 latest, we're out. And pretty much that's a day, you know. new side of ARG barbecue has been different versus when you were doing only catering? So it's really, really learning for me because uh, I've always worked for people in and out of kitchens, but uh, most recently in the past five or six years, my business has been home-based. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of flexibility. There's a lot of things that then I didn't realize, but now I realize that it was very inefficient. I mean, and there's also the, the, the limitations when you are in a home as opposed to a commercial kitchen. So now moving to a commercial kitchen, and I've been quite lucky to have a couple of friends who are very experienced, who have shared how to be a mo- bit more efficient and run a kitchen operation with me. Uh, I have learned a lot and it has helped uh, running this place. But if you ask me, running a kitchen operation, I'm relatively new to it. The business side of things, not so, but uh, uh, stall, I'm still learning, but I feel like in the past two months, I've learned so much. So tell me more about that, the learning bits, as well as uh, the challenges. You know, what's behind, and, and we can get really real here, you know, what are some, some key challenges that you face? I think you may have heard this uh, from food operators. It's very common in Singapore, and actually not just in Singapore, a lot of restaurants uh, globally is retaining talent or finding staff. Uh, staffing is quite... Uh, a challenge because I mean there's a number of issues and it's quite complex often but uh, usually it boils down to things like cost it's long hours it's a very demanding job it's intense sometimes you go to places that everyone's stressed so the culture can be rather demanding it also doesn't help that uh, and I say this extremely broadly is that our culture a lot of people here prefer to work in higher paying jobs uh, I mean be it for whatever reasons you know sometimes it's an expectation or family or society thinks it's better but you know when it comes to working in service or food operations uh, it may not be deemed as uh, a great job to some mm. and so that help I, I think that hinders sometimes finding the right talent because uh, the turnover i can imagine how that is so 
not only frustrating, but it's just time consuming, right? Yes. So you, you train someone for, you know, a month. Finally, when they're getting right good at it, you know, you're delegating and then, you know, a few months after they leave, it's like starting again and do that. Exactly. You know, how many times a year are you doing that? So, yeah, absolutely right. I, uh, so what we try to do, uh, so I spend a lot of time, I mean, on a personal level, I enjoy uh, management, business management as well as psychology. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, of course, we try to listen. We try our best to listen to the needs of our staff, you know, to try to make a environment that people enjoy. You know, yeah. we're trying to introduce something that a lot of people I've come across spoken to me have their reservations it's about especially in food and beverages uh, trying to move towards to retain staff right trying to move towards a model where four days work week and profit sharing which is quite unheard of in the food and beverage industry because it's usually like six day work weeks five it's a great thing already if you can find it six day work weeks uh, with salary that caps at a certain point and you know, I, I realized that you have a lot of passionate guys uh, in the industry, but they would jump ship very, very quickly. And, and for us, it's how do you give people skin in the game? Okay, yeah. so so let's start by four uh, work days a week. Yes. How does that work for you? Because then you have to have like different shifts, right? From like people yes. working half of the week, the other one. So of know. course, uh, it may seem a bit inefficient on that end. But I realize with most humans working, in, especially in a high demand, I mean, a very demanding job, kitchen's hot, you know, it's long hours. Uh, giving work-life balance allows people to come back to be a bit more creative. Yes, in the short run on the books, it looks a bit more expensive. Yes, we also have to tweak the salaries based on the amount of days work. But uh, we realize that people come back a bit more energized, a bit more charged. Uh, and that offers a lot more to the quality of the product because the way I see food and beverage service, right, it's a human, it's an emotional job. Your staff, I mean, it always starts with us, right, as the operator. If our staff are angry, tired, frustrated, it's going to speak in the food, the drink, the service. You know, you, I'm sure you've been to a place where you, you just felt that the staff were just like, oh, oh terrible. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah, you may Especially not... Especially when, when, for instance, a waiter is not working on tips... Yes, and has like the salary covered, then sometimes you know they wouldn't care, and they give a really bad service. But how does that work with your company? Is it or in your industry, do they get paid by hour or? So for um, our part timers, yes, they get paid by hour. Of course, full timers would be paid a salary. We don't have a tipping system here or culture. I personally, I when when I was working my other places, I always encourage uh, my team members to try to work for tips. I mean, incentivizes the individual it's just that the management I'm working uh, here with now hasn't implemented that but what we do to, to try to retain staff as well based on time and space and salary uh, yeah we try to give more benefits you know uh, create a culture where you're not just a number come in your own clothes show your personality if you want to have food sure I mean with reason you know you're welcome to take some from the kitchen we don't we cater for that in our cost you know if you want to have a drink sure don't get drunk on the job be responsible but you know have a good time if you want to chill out you're welcome to chill out you know it's kind of like family that's great I mean it sounds amazing I think like the very thin line there because many managers I feel like wish you know I think a lot of people might be hearing this and be like oh I wish I could be like that with my team you know but yeah sometimes it also takes the responsibility from the other people to actually not transfer passing those barriers oh, yes, yes. I mean um, trust what you say is very very true because I mean humans are complex right you yeah. know and there, there are tons of humans out there and everyone has a reason as to why they do their things but I think as, as a manager or a small business owner it's, uh, it's trying to identify the needs of the individual mm-hmm. the way I see it is 
that each and every one of us are creatures of attention. From the moment we are born, we cry for our parents' attention, you know, and, and that doesn't change growing up. You know, and if you listen enough to, to what your staff or your team members talking about, and if you can meet that middle ground, if you can give them what they want, that's great. But uh, without foregoing your own interests, you know, sure, that's perfect. But if you can meet some sort of middle ground and listen to what the other person's saying, then perhaps, yeah, mm-hmm. you can help to work. But I really feel as the main job of really managing uh, humans and keeping them happy is really listening to what they want and trying to help them achieve what they really want within your organization, uh, which sometimes, you know, uh, we tend to be a bit too goal-oriented, you know, in our own interest. And that's how I see it. But it's how to find strike that fine balance. Gosh, you're like speaking to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have another job and sometimes you're managing people and it gets to your nerves because, yeah, we are so goal-oriented. Okay. But yes, um, yes. it's true, we're all human beings. And so other than the the staffing and the people or when you work in the restaurant business how does that work with your providers let's say where you order your food i remember when i was younger i used to have a friend that owned a seafood restaurant and one of the biggest problems was always ordering you know the seafood and then having some of them going bad because it was you know wasted wasted and does that resonate with you at all or so i think we are relatively fortunate uh we've got a great crowd here you know that's constant you know our weekends are fully booked uh sometimes because it's still a pandemic it's a bit hard for us to to handle so i mean something a bit unfortunate that i i I would share it's one of the challenges that we face as well is we were issued a stop work order uh for 10 days just before uh easter uh good friday because there was a social distancing infringement and as much as we put checks in place and i mean we have a big space we sit up to 250 people you have some guests who who come in uh already drunk (laughs) you know or sometimes they 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 can be a bit playful you know Mm. uh as they say as the italians say right if there's a law there's a loophole (laughs) <laughs> and and we have guests coming in under different names, booking multiple tables, and you know we 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 don't give them the option of where to seat. You know they're supposed to seat in their seats, but you know. So you, like, people. let's say if I have twenty friends, one would book this table, the other one would book yes. that table, and then w- they're all mingling. Yes, hmm. but please please don't do that. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it's not like I'm saying I'm, I'm feeling bad for you because what does that mean for you as a restaurant? Do you have so to be now half open or? Of course, I think it's not necessarily a bad thing. It it, it really gave us that time to relook our process, uh, to understand uh, how we could tighten it up, especially during this time, and not forgetting the fact that we are still in a pandemic, uh, but at least also giving our customers a great time. And of course, there needs to be some compromise along the way. And this incident also... Yeah, coming back to your point about wastage, right, uh, actually led us to have a bit of wastage. But, you know, I mean, thank God for modern technology. You know, you can free stuff now. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, of course, there's certain limitations. uh, You know, there's some stuff that, unfortunately, we had to let go, you know, and these kind of constraints. uh, I mean, we were issued a fine, you know, and... uh, but there are other costs that uh, makes it challenging for us, which the loss of revenue. I mean, we still have to pay staff. Uh, our food stock gets wasted, you know, and, and, and things like that. But, you know, as I said, it's not necessarily a bad thing because we've been so... Uh, I think our business really picked up in the past couple of months, you know. And I think our team hasn't really had that time to sit down and relax and really plan what our next steps are. And this was kind of that opportunity to uh, breathe and then to do breathe. your forecasting yeah, on forced your uh, <laughs> forced leave <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> got it so let's talk about argentinian barbecue yes. um you said a little bit about your partner that that's how you got into the business yes. 
tell me more about it like the the whole food what type of you know um yeah argentinian food you serve and and the logistics behind it so on the weekdays uh we go more on a, a very local street food type of approach so we serve up empanadas uh which my uh, favorite yes <laughs> for for those listening uh think of it as uh a roll over pastry with a, a stuffing so that stuffing can come in terms of like meat Uh, vegetables, you know, chicken, chorizo, anything, uh, really. And now there's two type of empanada. Well, many, I guess, but yeah. there's Colombian empanadas, you know, and then Argentinians. The pastry from Argentina and empanadas are also it's very different. Like, yes, it's quite unique. Do you find that here? Do you do it yourself? So uh, yes, we make all the pastries ourselves. There's a fried version and there's a baked version. We do the baked version. Uh, I would say it's very similar. To pasta, so mm-hmm. it's kind of like pasta dough in that sense, similar. Yeah, it, it tastes yeah. very different. But now yeah. that you're saying yes, yes. it tr- tr- like looks like it too. Yes, yeah. uh, that that is baked. Uh, I would say in Singapore, the closest comparison that you would get is the curry puff. I mean, dumplings, uh, empanadas, curry puffs. Uh, they're synonymous all over the world. <laughs> actually, you've got pierogies in Eastern Europe as well. You've got dumplings in East Asia. Uh, curry puffs in Southeast Asia, yeah. you know. So yeah, uh, it's right. it's very relatable. Empanadas, yeah. what else? And mm. we do choripan as well. So in Spanish, choripan. Choripan, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because I have many of my friends listening to this and be like, "What is?" <laughs> Thank you. I love choripan. <laughs> so yes, uh, we do two types: uh, a pork and a chicken one. Yeah. Oh, uh, cool, cool. Yeah. So mm. with chimichurri, which uh-huh. is a parsley vinaigrette, and salsa criolla, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, Argentine-style salsa, which uh, the slight difference, I would. It basically consists of the usual bell peppers, tomatoes, onions, but uh, it's a lot of olives inside as well, a vinaigrette and oil as well. Uh, so in the day, uh, in the weekdays, that's what we do. On the weekends, we do the barbecue, what we're known for, uh, asado, which ah. is the the Argentine term for uh, the beef. Is yes, to die for. Oh, thank you. It's very. I haven't found like really good meat in Singapore, and maybe it's my own fault. But I think that yeah, it's not like you know in argentina any you can just go anywhere yeah, and there's going to be good it, yes. beef but here your your barbecue it's amazing like oh, the texture you. of meat very yeah. kind of you to say i mean uh, i think in singapore i mean we're based on an export country you can really get a lot but sometimes uh, you may not because we're still export country you may not get the best quality or it's really expensive We are quite fortunate to work with a good supplier that uh, imports in Argentinian meat that's quite consistent, and uh, you know I I think a lot of it's uh, down to cooking technique. Uh, something that you know most restaurants you go to you always have the steaks seared on a pan, uh, put in an oven, you know which is the very, I'd say, uh, typical method. But uh, with the Argentinian style, it's a lot of uh, open fire, coals, slow cooked uh, over a grill. Mm-hmm. So it gives that you get that nice char, you get that nice flavor, but at the same time, you know, uh, it's still juicy and tender inside. Oh, I love yeah. hearing about this, <laughs> the techniques. I had no idea about like the different ways. What about chicken? Is there a, a specific way to do it, like so, Argentina? Uh, we we sell a lot of chimichurri uh, marinated chicken. So mm-hmm. uh, my recommendation is always marinate your chicken. You know, uh, something like with chimichurri because it's a vinaigrette. Uh, so it helps when you marinate it overnight. It breaks down the The toughness of the chicken. Is that always so soft? So okay. That's why. Yes, okay. exactly. So uh, next time, do anything with a bit of vinegar, a bit of oil. You know, uh, that helps to break down your chicken. It makes it a lot more tender mm-hmm. uh, before you you throw it on the grill or the pan or even the oven. Yeah. Uh, 
so yeah, that's what we that's what we do. Uh, we marinate it in chimichurri, uh, and it comes out really great. Yeah. Great. So over this past five years, you know, doing this, what has been one of your best memories? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> you know, uh, if I had to choose one, I I think I've been very 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 fortunate. Uh, to be gifted this work because and I'm super grateful like we get to see some homes like I can't explain oh yes yeah. well let let me tell <laughs> everyone about the story of how we met so I order some I think it was like a beef you have like a plater right like yes, plate like, yes uh, it's a, a platter Platin. where we have different kind of meats and some sides and empanadas and it uh, comes with a wooden platter which yes. is so beautiful I still oh, have you. it and then you deliver it but it wasn't like your normal delivery person. It was like there was this letter, like almost handwritten. The service, it's very premium. And then it also feels like home almost, you know? So do you do it organically? Or do you actually sat down and say like, no, we need to do it different. And, you know, we need to provide a service that just stands out from. So that, that's a great question. Because, I mean, when we first started uh, delivering our empanadas, it was just in plastic containers and, <laughs> you know, and... I try to. We 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 eventually realized that yeah, gotta stop using plastic, guys. Like, gotta move away from that. And I mean, it didn't look great. But then we also realized from the business side of things is that like yes, you may pay a bit more for nicer packaging, but you know, uh, people are willing to give it as a gift. You know, so it spreads. It it's word of mouth on its own. You know, that's marketing value as well. Yeah. Not discounting the fact that yeah, we we can mark up a little more. <laughs> I mean, I mean, please don't stop buying my empanadas. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> but, but it it the service like for instance, I knew yeah. about your company through a friend, friend because when she ordered and she got all of that stuff, she was like very amazed and so recommended to me i got it for me and then all i wanted to do was put an instagram post oh, you, you know so i think it just yeah it, it works out in terms of even if you're not doing it because of that because i i know the good intentions behind it i think it does help but a lot of it i wouldn't say it was something i thought about myself uh, i run this as i mentioned i run, run this business with my wife so my wife's a stylist and she's a lot more aesthetically oh. driven uh, I also worked with uh, a friend who, who runs a platter business who I take a lot of inspiration and she's a teacher to me, right? You know, it's called Lush Platters. And uh, that taught me about packaging, attention to detail, uh, making stuff Instagrammable, you know, and uh, yeah, putting all this experience What a together. dream team, you know, yeah. like a chef like you, your wife as a stylist and then your friend as like a platter designer. Yeah, so <laughs> dream uh, team. very, very grateful, you know, and I'm very fortunate to, I mean, have these people in my li yeah. life to, to share me uh, this knowledge and, you know, and that's... Right, oh, I so got to this point, yeah. Hold on, we took a segue that's, you know, that's me right. wanting to share, but tell me one memory at least, like a, a cool memory that... So, yeah, uh, I've had this opportunity, uh, yeah, to work in some really, really nice places, you know, like I think for those who are unaware, Singapore has become home to to many people from around the world, you know, and, and a lot of uh, prominent people set up homes here, right? And, uh, and some of these homes are really gorgeous. You know, we've done work from public figures to ambassadors to prominent business people, you know. Uh, I have, I mean, without saying any names, you know, I've... Uh, I see you're struggling. <laughs> yes, like, yes, I'm trying should to... Should I, should I? No, no, I, I, I can't, you know, and I really respect my clients' privacy. Yeah, no, we're just going to say very high-level people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I've, I've seen some homes. Uh, what is very memorable for me is like... Uh, some of these clients I come across, like, they, they teach me things that I would have never seen, like, in certain ways from how one should live, level of organization. And, you know, coming from a, 
as an everyday person, you know, I, I used to think, oh, the guys on top have it good. They must be. They must be rude. rude and, and, yeah. and no, you know, and, and, and I've come across some guys who like, I mean, think about it. If money solves all your problems, right? You know, like for me, if you give me money will take away 90% of my problems. I'm, I'm probably confident to say. But, you know, think about it. If you, if you don't have that as a problem, right? We all have some form of problems, you know, like if money wasn't an object, uh, certain problems will start to arise that it's hard for the common man to understand, you know, and, and how well to better educate your family if you are in that position. It's true values. Yeah, you just said the money could solve my problems, but the more money maybe you want to expand your business, the more bigger your business is, the more problems you would. I mean, it's not like anyone has it easy, you know, everyone has their own cross to you know pick up and, and handle and absolutely you're so right you know because i mean i have seen both sides of the spectrum where i, ha- I mean loosely put term trust fund babies who you know have a lot but still have very little in their mind if you know what i mean mm-hmm. but then i come across those who have a lot but and they they know how to be at peace with it and a lot of it comes through values. So if you ask me best experiences is really live with a lot less judgment, you know, but also at the same time realize that, you know, regardless where you're from, what social standing or we don't choose how we are or to be born in fact. But I think something that can help us, I mean, is values. And the best that I've come across that I've managed to do some work for, I've learned these values. It's not like I ask them straight up, but I see like how they treat their kids, how they treat their the people that work for them and yeah it's things like that and that's I what I'm grateful for I love that you're for. saying this yeah we can get into deeper conversations but I love that because y- you get to see more about the human side yes, of yeah. people when you're visiting their homes great We have a segment of the show called Story Time. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we have a way there. Um, You know, guide us through or share with us a story. It could be related to your catering business or not. If I may share, uh, prior to this, I mean, I was looking through the notes that you shared with me and I was like, I was asking my wife, like, hey, how do I answer this? Do I have any stories? I don't have any stories. (laughs) Everything just seems like a blur up to this point. (laughs) That's the number one time. Every time (laughs) like, oh, I don't know if I have every story. And I always say, give it a thought. I'm sure. (laughs) And (laughs) yeah, you know, something that's very close to my heart that I want to share. You know, I I came from a lot of chaos. You know, I suffered uh, in my earlier years, my 20s, leading up to this point, like doing things that I didn't like based on expectation. I became very depressed. I slipped addiction uh i work what type of addiction if you don't mind so uh i I if you name it i've probably been addicted to it at some point Uh you know uh, working in the environment uh that stress and you know like just wanted to escape right to to seek happiness or, or or whatever that reason and yeah without revealing too much but yeah i've been addicted to a lot of things but uh came to a point when i started to work for somebody i was just now in hindsight, I look at it, I was absolutely terrible at my job. Uh, I left for a while, for three years, to do, uh, I worked in the oil and gas industry because I thought there was money in there. But, you know, the only thing I came out with was uh, clinical depression. It came to a point where I had difficulty leaving my bed. It's like I was a total zombie, you know. I was going to work high. Sorry, boss. Ex-boss. <laughs> you know what? Sh- maybe they might <laughs> never even hear about it. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, if you wouldn't get high, they, you wouldn't get out of bed. Yeah, you know, I, I just, now in high, at that point of time, was, I didn't see it. You know, I was just like, yeah, it feels good, right? 
you know yeah. but uh, now when I look at it it's like yeah I was actually running away from something I wasn't feeling the emotions uh, I, th- I think when you're in that loop people don't realize it yes right? it's so, so hard to realize I I, I after I, I mean it was so difficult for me to leave that job I was in a toxic I felt it was a, a toxic relationship uh, with myself and, and work already. So eventually I, I left with close to nothing. And I mean, thank God for the internet, right? So I started to search, you know, I'm feeling this way. How do I get better? You know, and all these things started to pop up, you know, and I turned to look for psychiatrists. Uh, the medicine helped for a while, but then I realized it's kind of, it's back to square one, you know, gaining another dependency on another drug, on another substance. So that's why I started to turn more to spirituality, psychology, cognitive behavioral therapy, stuff that had more long-lasting effects, letting go of things, you know, in my mind uh, that were there. And, you know, it, it's been a struggling journey, but it has allowed me to be a bit more empathetic to my team members. It helped me become a better manager, a better husband, I hope. <laughs> you got to ask my wife about that. I uh, love therapy. I yeah. mean, in, I do have like my own event life coach. Yes, in, that I do. so important. I think more people should do it. The best investment I have ever yes. done in yeah. myself. And I just really started like a year ago, but it's been the best. I've tried even with my parents to like go through a therapist. Like it's so fun and you don't need to really have a problem. It's just amazing. Like yeah. you go to the gym, you know, yes. go and work out your mind. Um, so I was saying, I tell them to my parents for them to go on. They'll be like, no, I, no, I'm not crazy. You know, like, there's a barrier there maybe in their generation that they would not really pay attention to absolutely. that absolutely I, I think even in our society I talk to my friends about it and they, they look at me is there something wrong with you well isn't there something wrong with all of us <laughs> <laughs> right but uh, what I come to realize is is that yes there is still some stigma cultural institutional it's bigger than a lot of us you know and uh I'm just glad that that day that you said, you know, I'm going to search for a therapist, you didn't have that barrier and at least you won. So it it, it took a while, you know, like there are a lot of blind spots uh, and it's not something that, hey, you see a therapist for one time, two times and you're better, you know. No, it's years, right? You know, I mean, some of us go through trauma at some point of time in our life. I, I came from relative chaos in my childhood as well, right? You know, and a couple of 20s with addiction and doing things that, the lack of guidance or just trying to find myself, right, uh, kind of led to that point. But if you ask me, depression, anxiety, uh, it's like the worst and the best thing that has happened to me. I mean, I don't wish it on anyone. I think it sucks. It, it's a terrible feeling. And, you know, I, I have a lot of empathy for people who are having a tough day. But, you know, I think it's because of that rock bottom, you know, you if you're able to, to find that help, you know, and sometimes you don't have to do it alone. You reach that certain point and you realize that there's nowhere else to go. It's only going back upwards. It gets better. I love that way of saying it, that yeah. if you are at the bottom of the you know, hole, there's only one way to go, yeah. which is going back up. Yeah, so... What uh, would you say for anyone out there that you know, might be not even seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, and they're like, there's no way back? You know, I'm not a trained therapist, right? <laughs> you know, I'm not a trained professional, but you know, in my own experience, you, yeah. in my own experience is that as much as good times don't last, bad times don't last either. There will be another day. Live another day, you know. The ability to be just alive, breathing, you know, isn't that a gift enough? You know, and sometimes it may be so hard to see when the mind is so dark, but there will always be that next day. Just keep going. That's how I see it. 
there's a quote my dad has always told my brother and I growing up and it's like things shall pass like you said the good things you need to understand they will pass so you don't get greedy and you don't get like oh I'm the best and you know think that you are better than the other people because oh they will pass and you know you is not going to last forever your golden years and then or minutes and then when you're in a bad situation the same you know it's not going to be forever yeah ultimately everything is temporary mm-hmm. you know and i think the faster we we learn to accept that and embrace the moment be it good or bad you know and learning to accept it uh, i think uh, the faster we start to understand what life is i'm getting to know a little bit more now or understand what you were saying at the beginning the way you manage your team and your company because it looks like all of this have taught you how to <laughs> you know relate to others and make you a better boss but also, you know, have like your little team be more like a family and be like, you know, you know, maybe someone's not having a good day. You know yeah. what it is to be there. I, I look a lot into this, you know, I mean, some of my team members don't agree. They say I'm being too nice, but we're human at the end of the day. You know, like, I mean, we, we come here, we come together for many different reasons. I mean, I look at the food and beverage service in general, you know, you, you have a lot of loose characters, you know, but, you know, it's an honest living, you know, and... Everyone has their own little struggle or their own little demon. Like, I think as a, as a small business owner, it's not my job to add to that. You know, if you are, to me, I see it as you're doing me a service, man. Like, you're coming here to work for me. You're helping me grow my business. You know, yes, money aside, right? But like, I'm not going to be here screaming at you. I mean, if I can help you solve your problem in the best of what I can do, why not? You know. And it totally reflects, like, I think you, you did say, you know, you you put all that energy in your food. So let's say we are here at this really cool place. Let's say I'm with my friends ha- having a love and, you know, just having a great time. I don't want to, like, see and go to my left, see the kitchen, you yelling, yelling at someone. Like, we're all here having a good time. This looks like a great place, good vibes. Like, in general, it should just go like that, yeah. also behind the scenes. So And, yeah, that's pretty much uh, behind the scenes. Of course, you know, I'm not going to lie and say that, oh, everyone smiling all the time you know we have our struggles you know we have little conflicts here and there but you know being a bit more empathetic you know taking care of each other you know i think it goes a longer way in helping to solve problems as well great well james just to end the episode with a little questions or quick questions so first thing that comes into your mind one big lesson that you've learned through covid or the secret breaker here in singapore oh so many actually i mean but uh, i know it's a quick question uh, segment, but I would say it really got me off my bum. Uh, and Wake up. <laughs> yeah, you know, it really woke me up because, uh, and it wasn't straight away, but it was kind of like, yeah, you know, I was still banging on the fact that, yeah, events are going to come back, you know, we'll be fine, we've got some savings, but you know, when when I started to go, into, we, we went into red, you know, and I started to realize that like, oh no, we have to do something, you know, and, and it's funny, you know, like, uh, Sometimes uh, having too much comfort may not necessarily, or structure or monotony may not necessarily be a good thing. You know, uh, I've realized my my biggest lesson I learned uh, to sum it up is uh, struggle, fear, uh, adversity is something that we shouldn't run away from. You know, Uh, yes, it's tough, it's stressful, it's anxiety, but you know, being able to embrace that and look at it not as a negative thing, but as a, a life changing state to be something that's better. To, to get you to a better point uh, yeah it is, is something that I think we all should, should good things come out yeah, of it good yeah. things come out of it exactly alright um, how do you define happiness I think you see 
happiness is, is a very very complex thing and, and the way I see happiness is not something that should be chased because I think in my 20s I think maybe what led me to, to depression and even anxiety was the constant need to chase happiness because the next high you feel great right you know you have drinks with your friends you know and, and yeah happy yes I felt happy but what happened when it went away I have to get more you know I need more happiness so I, I think I think happiness to me is a bit more of a byproduct uh, of what you do I think greatest happiness to me to just being grateful grateful for what we have enjoying moments then the byproduct of happiness com- comes around that's how I see gratefulness then yeah when it's one of your biggest fears you know I've been trying to live by this philosophy uh, about fear lately which is uh, to embrace your fear when you see your fear that means that's your task you know and if you ask me at this point that's a tough question you know and and I, I think my wife's expecting oh, you know uh, so thank you and one of my fears right now is that I mean to give you a good context she's due in four months and it's our first child and I didn't grow up with a father figure, you know, and, and sometimes I ask myself this question, you know, like, uh, I don't want my kid to go through what I went through. But at the same time, you know, I have the bias, my own bias where I think, oh, they should go through some hardship to get to become successful. But, you know, and, and my, my fear is like, how will I learn this? You know, how I don't want my kid to go through suffering, but at the same time. I don't want them to be too cushy, you know, and I think it's this thing that I'm still trying to cope. Will I be a good enough father because I don't have that knowledge? You don't know what you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but You're trying to find that balance. Yeah, but so I'm sure even if you give them like the happiest home and yeah. you all the love that you have, the world is tough out there. They'll exactly. For sure, you know, we learn our own lessons out there. So But that's my task, you know, <laughs> if, if that's the fear, I guess that's the yeah. task, right? You know, only time will tell. Gosh. <laughs> gonna be a father soon so <laughs> i <laughs> i can't say i relate but wow congratulations thank you do you have a favorite word uh <laughs> no i've not thought of I've, that that's an interesting <laughs> question that's a curveball right there sometimes we don't even ever ask ourselves that but yeah you, i think i say empanadas a lot <laughs> <laughs> that could be your favorite word <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I think, yeah, we, we could work on that. You know, mass empanadas. Yeah, yeah mass empanadas. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so if you could invite anyone in the world, no matter, matter distance or time, uh, to join you for a barbecue, who would it be? This is quite interesting. You know, I thought about it, you know, long and hard. And, and I'd like to invite my grandfather, you know, my, 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 my father's father, because he was, to me, I mean, to what you hear growing up, was uh, I, I didn't spend much time with him, but... Uh, he was a very prominent business person in the region but as I get a bit older and I become an adult myself and father to be and I start to realize that like there's a lot of trauma and a lot of chaos like he was great at certain things he's great at business you know uh, when it comes to family I think there was room for improvement uh, as well and you know I would like to actually meet him and understand you know uh, uh, what he went through I mean because technically if if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here, right? Uh, and, and to understand uh, the business side of things more. Because I didn't choose business, you know. I think it kind of like fell in my lap. But at the same time, it's kind of something that I've always I noticed that I've been uh, meandering my way through. So I kind of wonder what was his direction as well. Oh, such and a cool answer. Yeah. It makes me think like maybe I want to, you know, have a talk with my grandmother too. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a firm mm-hmm. believer in, in like, you know, genes 
and, and science have shown it as well, right? Uh, how do I put it? Like, genes uh, have memories. If your grandfather was anxious, you probably are anxious. And, you know, how do we cope with that? And another question that I ask myself is, uh, like, I want to show the best side of myself to my kid because I want to be a good example. But then I realized that, hey, I'm, I'm just another man, you know? Like, I have my, my shortcomings too, you know? And is my father also like that? Because my father puts a, a picture that, yeah, you have to do this, you have to do that, you know? But he also has shortcomings and I'm becoming an adult. I, I want to see how to be a more real person. So yeah, you know, and these things are in the genes, you know, and uh, sometimes it's not within our control. Oh. Yeah a good way to see it well yeah. i'd love to try some empanadas now and you know um, yes we <laughs> will cook some for you right away cool well that's all for today's episode of a day with thanks for listening and to you james thanks a lot for opening the doors of the restaurant to me also the you know the stories and your personal life just great to get to know you better and remember to share your thoughts and comments on our instagram it's a day with dot podcast and subscribe to all of our episodes in spotify apple podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts all right see you next tuesday thank you james thank you so much